Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. My dear Christian friends, do you know what karma is? Karma is a core concept in Eastern religions like Hinduism and Buddhism. Karma means action. It is the belief that if you perform one action, then another action will follow it. It is, you get what's coming to you. What goes around comes around. That if you do evil, evil will come upon you. If you do good, then good will follow you. For example, last week in Florida, a motorcyclist was popping wheelies on the road. The police tried stopping him, but the man took off, and as he was leading the police on a high-speed chase, as he was going through an intersection, he decided to turn around and flip them off, and just then he was T-boned by a pickup truck. Now, thankfully and miraculously, he, he survived. People would say, that's karma. Or, in the other extreme, there is a very famous YouTuber who makes a lot of money with his YouTube videos, and then he uses that money to do good for other people. For example, he's paid for over a thousand cataract surgeries for doctors to give sight to those who were previously blind. And those who are healed then want good to be done for this YouTuber because he's been using his money to help and do good for others. They would say that's karma. But karma is not correct. It's not biblical. It's not Christian. Even though Christians today still believe in this false theology. And it's a very old false theology. Job's friends believed in karma. After Job had lost his family, his wealth, and his health, then for chapter after chapter, Job's so-called friends sat around trying to figure out what he had done wrong so that God was punishing him and bringing upon him divine retribution. The disciples of Jesus also succumbed to that false theology of karma. They come across a man who is blind from birth, and then they ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Friends, how many of you, when things start going south in the life of those around you, that you start wondering, well, what did they do wrong that God is getting back at them? Or when something goes south in your life, an accident, a lingering illness, that you start wondering, what have I done wrong to tick off God so that he's punishing me? This is how the people of Job's day thought and Jesus' day thought. And in our day, it is a conclusion that we jump to very quickly. If someone is suffering some kind of su a suffering of a, an illness, a tragic accident, then we assume that God must be punishing them for a specific sin. We ask, who sinned? We jump to these kinds of conclusions because we are looking for pad answers for the questions on suffering. And so we give pad answers like, it's for the best. It's all part of God's plan. God won't give you more than you can handle. We've all heard those things. We've all said those things. And we jump to these kinds of conclusions 
even though they're all wrong. They sound pious, they sound good, they are definitely theological, but they're false theology because the suffering might not be for the best. It might not be a part of God's plan because if it was sin or evil that caused it, God does not plan sin and evil. He uses sin and evil as his plan, but he's not the cause of it. And God oftentimes gives us more than we can handle so that we get down on our knees and beg for mercy to ask him to handle it for us. Well, we might join with Job's friends and Jesus' friends in coming up with pad answers that are often wrong when it comes to suffering, then we need to look to Scripture because Scripture presents for us a multifaceted, balanced, nuanced view of suffering. Some suffering appears to be the direct result of God's righteous anger upon rebellious unbelief. Like when the children of Israel were complaining about having to eat manna and quail all the time. And so God sent venomous snakes to bite and kill them. Some suffering appears to be uh, as a result of God's chastisement, as he is working to change hearts and behaviors, like with Jonah. God told Jonah to go preach to the city of Nineveh, but instead Jonah went the opposite way, and so God sent a violent storm. So the sailors threw Jonah overboard. He sank to the depths of the sea with seaweed around his head, swallowed by a giant fish. And then the fish vomits him up onto dry land. And then, smelling like fish vomit, he goes and finally preaches to the Ninevites. Some suffering appears to be the result of a Christian's connection with the Christ. As the apostles and the early Christians and Christians still today suffer persecution because of their relationship with Jesus. And some suffering appears to be the result of being sinful people, living in a sinful world like this man that was born blind. The disciples were somewhat correct in their diagnosis. This man was born blind because of sin but not because of some specific sin that he had committed as an infant in the womb or something specific and horrific that his parents had committed. Rather, blindness is one of the symptoms of being a sinner, living in a sinful world, just like a heart attack or stroke or old age. These are all the results of sinners living in a sinful world. And we often like to think of sin as things we do and think that suffering is a result of sin. So we do this kind of moral math that if we can subtract our sins, then we should be able to subtract the amount of suffering we have. But sin is much more per pervasive than that. Sin is certainly the things that we do wrong, but sin is also the things that we fail to do right. And sin is a part of our nature. It's a part of who we are. Jesus told Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh. Our God does not do this kind of moral math. He doesn't add up your sins, subtract your supposed righteousness, and then dish out suffering based on the difference. 
God does not give us the reason for suffering. The, suffering, the reason for suffering is largely and mysteriously mis, uh, unknown to us. And although we may not always know why suffering occurs, God does reveal to us what he has done about it. He sent his son to suffer satanic temptation, divine wrath, and hellish punishment in our place. All the suffering that we should be enduring now and for eternity, Jesus has already endured for us on the cross. So scripture tells us that Jesus suffered for us and with us. Jesus suffered with us because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. The Bible says that Jesus also suffered for us. We see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus is the answer to our questions about suffering. Jesus was the answer to this blind man's questions about suffering. Throughout his life, the Jewish rabbis taught that this man was damaged goods because either he or his parents had sinned. But then another rabbi came along and he taught, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. A little while later, this rabbi takes some dirt and mixes it with his saliva and then makes mud, puts that mud on the blind man's eyes and tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And after he does that, he comes back seeing. <clears throat> Comedian Paul Reiser once wrote about mother spit. He said, I saw a kid who had some dried up food on his face. His mother took out a tissue spit on the tissue, and rubbed it into the kid's face. This goes on in communities around our country on a daily basis. It's disgusting, but it sure does work, doesn't it? There's something in mother saliva that cleans like nobody's business. All women, once they give birth, their enzymes change and becomes like Ajax. It'll clean anything. A baby's face, a countertop, a Buick. You get enough mothers together, you can clean a car in 30 to 40 minutes. And mothers spit, and we all know this from experience, it can, it's great for cleaning. But Jesus' divine spit is reserved for something greater. It's for healing. What once was broken, Jesus mends with the creator's touch. The great physician is at work. And notice the earthiness of it all. Fingers in the dirt, mud in the eyes, God coming down to us, touching us, opening eyes, creating faith, saving souls. Jesus does what only the, only the creator can do. He creates and recreates humanity with mud. Adam was created out of mud by the creator, and now the master potter, the creator, is there to use mud once again to fix the eyes of the son of Adam that was broken. Two weeks ago, before spring break, the seventh graders and I were discussing end-of-life issues when it comes to suffering in connection with the fifth commandment of you shall not kill. So we talked about euthanasia, mercy killing, 
and why that should never be an option. We talked about what we can learn from suffering. And so we imagine together that the seventh grader's grandmother is at home with them because of a debilitating illness. Grandma, through that illness, can learn patience. Patience that leads to Christian character. Christian character that leads to hope. And St. Paul says, hope is never put to shame. Seventh grader can watch mom take care of grandma, feeding her, clothing her, changing her, bathing her, doing everything for her. The seventh grader can watch mom's Christian compassion and empathy. And the seventh grader can learn something too because grandma is not healthy and down in Florida with all the other older people. She's there all the time with the family. The seventh grader can learn stories and history, family history from grandma. Grandma can talk to the seventh grader every day and hear his or her stories about school and subjects and math and science. Can learn about what went on in basketball practice and the soccer game. Together they can hug each other, hold hands, read the Bible, anything together. You see, God is not cursing us because of an illness or because of suffering. Rather, suffering can be used by God to allow us to see him more clearly. Because at the end of the story, when this previously blind man is walking around, checking out, and using his brand new eyesight, now there's a man standing in front of him. And I imagine that this man had been blown had been blind for several decades. He probably had never heard of Jesus, maybe never heard of Jesus preaching. And so now, and he certainly had never seen him, and now Jesus is standing in front of him. Do you believe in the Son of God? This man asks. Who is he, sir? The previously blind man replied, that I may believe in him. And Jesus answered, you have seen him, and he is the very one who is speaking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he knelt down and worshiped him. God allowed this man to suffer probably decades of blindness so that Jesus could come along one day and give him sight. And Jesus gave him physical sight, but more than that, he blessed him with spiritual sight of faith that he could now see the Savior who was standing right in front of him. Something that the Pharisees who had eyesight could not see about Jesus. And so you see, God can often use our disabilities to help us understand how full of sin and spiritually blind we really are. And then the Holy Spirit can use that suffering to allow us to start looking for a Savior. And then he gives us spiritual sight. Not with mud and spit, but with equally humble means of water, bread, wine, and word. God sometimes uses suffering followed by the gospel to open the eyes of the spiritually blind so that they can see the Savior from their eternal suffering. So fellow saints, don't ask who sinned to cause the suffering that's false theology. That's karma. Instead, ask, 
How can my suffering lead me to patience, character, and hope? How can the burden of my suffering lead me to rely on Christ evermore so that he can take away my burden because he's already taken away my sin? And how can my suffering lead me to see Christ more clearly? Instead of asking who sinned, instead thank God that through Christ he has removed your sin. Instead of believing in karma, believe in Christ. Amen.